today, President Bush eloquently defended the troop surge. We'll discuss it. And Dr. Jerry Falwell has been called a moral leader and a hate monger. Today, we'll discuss his life and legacy with his widow. Plus, we'll talk about the importance of pure expository preaching. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. That's David Cook. He's the new American Idol singing The World I Know. Last night, the scruffy and humble, uh, humble bartender and bar band singer actually won the title by about 12 million votes. And uh, here's the one he beat. Imagine all the people sharing for Seventeen-year-old David Archuleta singing "Imagine." Uh, one of my kids asked, "Is he a communist?" That's sort of a uh, one-world song, but it was beautifully done uh, by that young man. So it's all over, and now I can start going to the gym on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there is a uh, story uh, breaking today about uh, the polygamous sect case in Texas. A state appellate court has ruled that child welfare officials had no right to seize. More than 400 children living at this uh, polygamous sex ranch. Uh, The third court of appeals in Austin ruled that the grounds for removing the children were legally and factually insufficient under Texas law. They did not, though, immediately order the return of the children. Uh, Of course, as we know, child welfare officials removed the children on the grounds that the sect uh, pushed underage girls into marriage and sex and also trained boys to become future perpetrators. And uh, the hearing, of course, has been chaotic, uh, started last month. Uh, but it did not demonstrate that the children were in any immediate danger and uh, that uh, possibly these children should not have been taken from their homes. I'm sure there will be more. With us to discuss this is Hiram Sasser from Liberty Legal Institute. Hiram, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thanks for having me. What do you think of this decision by the Texas Third uh, Court of Appeal? Well, you know, as we said in our uh, in our front of the court brief when we filed it, and uh, we we took no sides. We we just simply said, listen, if the state meets its burden, and it's a heavy burden, uh, whenever the state wants to take a child from uh, from their their parents for whatever reason, uh, if the state can meet that burden by by showing that uh, there's endangerment to the children, then that's fine. The state can take it. But if they can, apparently, as what was found here, that they couldn't meet that factual burden under the Constitution. 
then uh, the, uh, the, the the kids can't be removed from their parents for any old reason. So will this be appealed? Well, I, I'm sure it'll be appealed and uh, and go all the way up to the Texas Supreme Court. You know, I think the main issue here is that uh, 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 if there's problems going on, then all the state has to do is, is show the necessary evidence. And if they have the evidence, uh, then uh, then the children obviously can be taken. But if they don't have the evidence, then, then the children can't. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd love to know what you think about this. Do you think these kids should have been taken? Do you think this court got it right and uh, that this, uh, there was just some uh, law that really was broken by removing these 400 kids from the polygamist sect? And I know we don't know everything yet. Uh, all uh, the information is not out. But give us a call, and uh, you know you can kind of weigh in here and maybe even ask Hiram Sasser a question. 800-881-9270 is the number. And I want to uh, talk a little bit about what's going on later in the program. And uh, first of all, do you remember this person. The moral majority was Jerry Falwell's operation himself run, I believe, right down there out of the Thomas Road Baptist Church out of Lynchburg. And I would say he was the principal voice of that and it was an enormously powerful movement. At the same time, look what he did. He took this small Thomas Road Baptist Church, Mm -hmm. turned it into a mega church, then had a college, and then he had a university, Liberty University, which was huge. All right, that's Pat Buchanan. He was speaking on MSNBC after Jerry Falwell's death, uh, just talking about his influence. Later in the program, we're going to interview the the widow of Jerry Falwell Maisel. You won't want to miss that interview. And also, we're going to talk about the... uh, really the type of preaching that many of us love, expository preaching straight from the text, verse by verse, and we're going to discuss it with a professor who teaches that. But right now, Hiram Sasser is with us talking about this polygamous sect uh, case. And Hiram, when this happened, when these kids were removed, did you have any worries about parental rights law and how that might be being violated at the time? Well, I, I, I did, uh, but I had, again, the problem we had you know, from the outside is we had no idea what the evidence was the state had. Uh, you know, for all any of us knew when we were watching the news, the evidence had uh, the state had evidence of rampant uh, uh, sexual exploitation of children, and uh, that there was a need to to remove all the children because all the children were in danger. Uh, but as the as sort of the facts came came out, that we we all learned maybe that might not be the case. But I think from the outside, well, what everyone can say is, while we don't know what the facts are, we do know what our rights are, and we know how we want to be treated. And, uh, and I think that's the, uh, the, the perspective that everybody should have. And I, and I think that's probably why the Texas uh, uh, Court of Appeals came down with this decision. Well, you know, I was worried. And, of course, as, as I said, we don't know everything. And we certainly didn't know everything when this first happened. But I thought, you know, could this type of uh, um, action be taken against, say, Christian parents who were homeschooling or something like that? And, you know, you just worry about those things. So in a sense parents' rights, at least in this court decision, seem to be uh, intact in Texas. Yeah, you know, CPS officials have, have uh, notoriously uh, harassed uh, Christian parents uh, homeschooling their kids uh, in the state of Texas. And so, uh, you know, I never really have that much sympathy for, uh, for, for CPS. It seems like they allow really abusive situations to go on without intervention, but then harass these Christian parents just trying to homeschool their kids. Uh, so I was very concerned that maybe there might be some state overreaching, and apparently that's what the uh, Court of Appeals found as well. And, of course, uh, we have interviewed uh, people that were down there near the ranch and also one woman a few weeks ago who actually 
had been in this sect uh, many years ago and had become a believer and come out of it. So we know that there are huge problems there, and people are mistreated, but uh, you just have to wonder uh, about what that remedy is, if there is one. Well, we are taking calls on this issue uh, and also questions for Hiram Sasser of Liberty Legal Institute. Let's go first to May Pearl and speak with Mike. Hi, Mike. Thanks for calling in. Hey, how's it going? Great. First thing I'd like to say is, you know, the the sect that they're kind of off the off base anyway. Though I mean, the Mormon faith, there to me is kind of based on perversion in the first place, and uh, just a mainline Mormons. I can just imagine what goes on behind closed doors at this place. All right, uh, now uh, Hiram, that's you know we look at Mormonism and we talk about the tenets of Mormonism, and this is just a you know, a sect of Mormonism that continues to practice polygamy. And so none of us agree as Christians with that. But in a sense, you also have to be careful, though, because you and your organization are involved in protecting the rights of believers. And you don't want to dilute that, do you? Well, no. I mean, it, the, the, I'll tell you, it's, it's really tough because... Uh, in one sense, you have the Supreme Court who said, uh, you know, 150 years ago they ruled in a case that uh, polygamy can be rightfully outlawed even though it's part of their someone's religious beliefs. And that was part of, uh, you know, Utah becoming mm-hmm. a state and a big battle for the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, we, we have to be careful to make sure that when the government is taking actions to violate parents' rights, that they're doing so with the required evidence that the Constitution requires, because as long as those procedures are followed for everybody, then everybody's rights are protected. All right. Uh, Debbie is in Granbury. Debbie, thanks for calling in. First off, thank you so much for taking my phone call. Um, I just want to make mention that back in the 80s, I worked as a psychiatric nurse in a child care unit, and this gentleman is right. The state is not interested in current well-known, well-documented cases of abuse versus um, homeschool parents, because I was personally uh, treating, caring for a four-year-old girl that had been well-documented that the uncle had been abusing her, and the court was well aware of the situation and still would allow her mother to take her home to where the uncle was. Hmm. Interesting. And, and then the child abused a third time during a home visit. She was in the psychiatric facility being treated for the abuse. Okay, you're so, breaking up, um, but Hiram, have you have you heard of situations like this? Well, I, I've heard of I've heard a lot of situations where uh, a CPS has overstepped their authority, and and you got to understand, judges are very reluctant to go against CPS in normal circumstances because what if they were what what if what if the CPS was really right, and so they always err on the side of violating parent parental rights. But if there, there's one quote that I think is very important when it comes to protecting the rights of others to protect our own rights. And that came from Martin Niemöller, who was a pastor in uh, in Germany. He said, uh, first they came for the communists, but I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. And then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. And then they, they came for the Jews, but I wasn't Jewish, so I didn't speak up. And then they came for me. And when they came for me, there was no one left to speak up. Wow. Hmm. All right. Um, Hiram Sasser is with me. And Hiram, I want to ask you about something I see that just happened uh, actually this week with... Uh, Liberty Legal Institute, and that is you got word on one of your cases that's gone all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, we, we've had a case that's lasted about 10 years uh, over a, uh, a in, in the Greenville School District, uh, just outside of Dallas, there was a, uh, 
uh, a superintendent that refused to hire uh, our client because she educated her kids in a private Christian school. And we had to go through 10 years of litigation, three trips to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, two trips to the U.S. Supreme Court, with it finally ending this last week, this week, with a decision from the uh, from the U.S. Supreme Court this week saying that uh, case is over and it's done and our uh, client prevails. So it's just been a great victory, but man, it's it's taken a decade to, uh, to to be able to win that war. So it's just another case of parental rights, which you have worked uh, to protect, because uh, this this woman, just because she had her or taught in a public school, you know, people were saying she didn't have the right to put her kids in a Christian school. I mean, that's absolutely amazing that it took this long to solidify that right. Yeah, you would think that uh, it would be pretty obvious that here in the United States of America that you have a right to educate your children in private Christian school if that's, if that's what you so choose. It took us 10 years and millions of dollars in, in fees and costs in order to, uh, to, to win that victory. Mm. Uh, listen, Hiram, thank you so much for all the work you and Kelly Shackelford and everyone else at uh, Liberty Legal Institute do, because I really sometimes don't know what we would do without groups like you protecting our rights. Well, thanks. Uh, I really appreciate that, and we, we love to serve. All right. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, that is Hiram Sasser, Liberty Legal Institute. They're based right here in the Metroplex, and they do work in this region of the country, and there are other legal groups out there doing this type of work, but they are one of the best, and uh, we're so grateful to them and for uh, also the fact that they weigh in with us on these issues. Well, next up, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about uh, somebody who's kind of been an icon in uh, the conservative movement, uh, and he's also sort of been... uh, I don't know, he's been sort of mocked and made fun of by the media and uh, even by some people in the church who have said that maybe he's gone too far with some of his statements and embarrassed the Christian community. Well, uh, we're going to get the facts, at least uh, from somebody who really, really loved him, his widow. And he is Dr. Jerry Falwell. His wife, uh, Maisel, has written a book about him. It's a new book really celebrating the life of this man, and we will talk with her right after this. Stay with us. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell 
Driscoll College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. I need about 20 more years to accomplish uh, what my vision for the university is. 20 years. Jim. I need at least another 20 years, so I, that's how I'm praying. In the Bible, there's a story of a guy named Hezekiah who was dying, and he asked God for 15 additional years, and he got it. Well, I'm praying the same prayer with an option to renew. And do you think you'll get it? I don't know, but I certainly won't. What do hoping. you want to do with those 20 extra years? Well, well we, we want uh, a huge, major, evangelical Christian university. We're just starting our uh, engineering school this fall. The law school graduates its first uh, lawyers right now. Um, we, we're starting a medical school about five years down the road. We have a 5,000-acre campus, and we, when I use the word pit bull, I meant tenacious. We want uh, young people who know what they believe, why they believe it. I believe America was built on the Judeo-Christian ethic. I want to see the nation returned to the Judeo-Christian ethic. That's Jerry Falwell uh, talking to CNN's Christian Amapur, and this was, of course, before his death, May fifteenth, two 2007. He wanted 20 more years, and he detailed in that interview why he wanted it. And we know God is sovereign, and... Uh, we know that uh, he has ways of answering our prayers. He did take his servant, Jerry Falwell, home to be with him. Uh, but uh, Liberty University continues, and it grows, and it's successful. And much of the uh, rest of the vision of Dr. Jerry Falwell continues. Others that he has encouraged, that he has discipled, are uh, moving that vision forward. One of those people is his widow, and uh, she is named Maisel. She has written a book about her husband, Jerry Falwell, his life and legacy, and she joins us now. Maisel, thank you so much for joining me. Well, I'm glad to be up with you. We're so glad to have you, and I guess the first question I have, uh, because you're writing a loving uh, memoir of your husband, is what kind of a husband was he? He was a wonderful husband. Uh, actually, I've just never seen anybody that loved people as much as Jerry. And uh, I just cherished my life with him. It, it was it has been wonderful. Maisel, how are you doing now? Well, I'm doing fairly well. It's, um, it's, it's hard, very, very hard. And um, I just, some days I just cry all day, and some days, I, you know, I feel okay. How many years were the two of you married? Almost 50 years. All right. Well, it's certainly uh, 50 years of marriage to someone. There's got to be some pain, extreme pain in that year. And I'm so glad that you wrote this book about him. I'm sure that it was uh, sort of bittersweet to walk through his life and his legacy. And uh, one of the things uh, that is sort of throughout, um, actually a lot of the things that have been written about him, is that he was such a great optimist. And I think you have to be an optimist to do uh, the many things that he did that he really had to step out on faith doing, didn't he? Absolutely. And, and everything that he planned on doing or, or wanted done, uh, it, it just seemed to happen. I mean, everything. It, it was, and it's, it's amazing, you know, the faith that he had. And 
uh, he was just a wonderful person. Well, we know that uh, he had a passion uh, to spread the go- uh, spread the gospel, and he established the church there, Thomas Road Baptist Church. Tell us about that. Uh, when he, we established the church, yes. Well, he 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 had that we had the church in the bottle uh, bottle uh, D- Donald Duck bottling place bottling and, plant. Yes, <laughs> really. Uh huh. And we started in that. And the first service, the place was filled, and people were standing in the back. And then he went from that, you know, to a, a larger church, and uh, it just kept growing and growing. And, and then he said one day to me, he says, um, I'm going to start a, a, a school um, for the kids. I said, Jerry, they've got so many schools, nobody would come to that. Jeannie was in the back seat, and she said, Daddy, I'll come to your school. Oh, and, that's your daughter? <laughs> and so anyway, he started that, and then he said, I'm going to, I think I'll just go ahead and add, um, a, 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 um, I can't think, <laughs> a, a, a high school. And I said, Jerry, there are so many things you'd have to have, labs and stuff like that. I said, you can't you're do the, that. You're the realist, and he's the visionary? Yes. <laughs> and and he said, oh, yes, I, yes, I can do it. And he did that. And then, then when he said he was going to have a college, I thought, now you have really gone berserk. And... Um, but everything that he has said and he was going to do, everything has been successful. Mm. And it just has been amazing. Maisel Falwell is with me, and she's written a new book uh, about her husband, her late husband, Dr. Jerry Falwell. Let's go now to another report. This is CNN's Candy Crowley looking back on the life of Jerry Falwell. Who sold bootleg whiskey during Prohibition, father of a movement to restore America as God's country. A big thinker from small-town Virginia, growing his 35-member Thomas Road Baptist Church into a congregation of thousands, and then millions as the fundamentalist reverend raised on radio preachers pioneered a new evangelism, the TV pulpit, beaming his old-time gospel hour into American homes, turning living rooms into pews. Jerry Falwell said he found Jesus in 1952. He found politics in 1979, forming the moral majority to lobby against abortion rights, gay rights, pornography, and a host of social issues. He claimed credit for helping elect Ronald Reagan and a string of officials down the government ladder. We uh, have a, uh, a goal of 200 of our people running for office this year at different levels across the country. Maisel Falwell is with me. She is the widow of Dr. Jerry Falwell. And Maisel, uh, I think this is one of the great. It's hard to really say which is the greatest contribution of Jerry Falwell. But uh, the fact uh, that he encouraged Christians across the nation to get involved in the political arena. I mean, there was just this idea that you didn't want to dirty yourself by getting involved and jumping into politics. And with the moral majority and the other things that he did, he was really one of the key, I think, leaders that helped change that. And, uh, you know, I think we owe him a debt of gratitude for that. Was that something that was thought out for a long time, or was it another one of those ideas that was just kind of just thrown at you and did it? <laughs> uh, he, he just one day got up and, and just that, that, that's what he wanted to do. And, of course, I knew it be, would be successful because everything he had ever said uh, said or talked about had actually been just exactly the way he had said he wanted it. How did he find the energy to do all of this? Uh, well, he went day and night, and um, I, I just don't know. He seemed to never get tired, mm-hmm. and uh, but he but he loved doing it. 
All right. Someone else, something else that we read uh, about Jerry Falwell is that he was a very generous man. And uh, this one story about the fact that, first of all, this is amazing that the senior pastor actually uh, continued to go out and knock on the doors of visitors to Thomas Rhodes Church, which he did. Uh, but one that didn't have any shoes. Tell us about that. Uh, he went out to visit this young man, and he said, I'd like for you to come to my church. And he says, well, I can't do that. I don't have any shoes, any church shoes. And Jerry said, what size do you wear? And he said, 11 and a half. He says, well, uh, that's the same size I wear. So he took his shoes off and got, came home with socks only. <laughs> and he did the same thing to an overcoat that I bought him. He wore it about two or three times, and then he came home one day, and I said, where's your coat? And he looked at me, and I said, oh, well, never mind. I know where it is. <laughs> he had given that away. <laughs> and he'd love to have money in his pocket. And I mean, he would just pass it out to people. He just loved to do that. Now, I know he did have some um, friends and acquaintances that might surprise us. And uh, one of these, uh, I kind of always wondered about, but I knew that he had an evangelistic heart, was the publisher of Hustler magazine, Larry Flint. There was a friendship there. Can you can you yes, talk about that well, a little bit? Uh, Jerry sued him for a parody about his mother, which was a bad, bad one. Yes, it was. And, yeah, and Jerry left. I mean, Jerry lost. And one day, we were... Just uh, I don't know why we were going someplace, but it was the same town that he lived in. And Jerry says, you know, I think I'll go see Larry. And I thought, wow. <laughs> and he went in, and, and Larry was shocked. He didn't come in for a while, and Jerry didn't think he was going to come. And then he walked in there, and Jerry went over and hugged him and said, how you been doing? And, you know, just a conversation with him. And uh, Larry said he just actually didn't know what to do. But it just—he said I ended up loving him, mm-hmm. and it's just—it um, was—it was unbelievable. And then uh, Jerry, he—he he was someplace he needed a ride home, and uh, Larry said he says I think the plate, uh, the plane had messed up or something, and Larry says, well, come on, I'll take you home in my and out plane, my plane. So he took him home, and they were just friends from you know after that, and the same thing was with Ted Kennedy. Ted, um, Jerry invited him to speak to the LU students, and um, so he came, and he was sort of worried, a little bit, you could tell he was uneasy, and he got up, and the students were quiet, nobody ever said a word, you know, they didn't holler at him or anything, and I think that shocked him, and uh, he, he and, uh, we had, had dinner, we had at dinner at my house before he went over there, and he was so shocked, you know, that that happened. And um, so then uh, uh, Ted invited us to his home, and we went. And um, at the end, he asked Jerry to go visit his mother, who was, you know, in bad health or something. Did Jerry, Jerry ever share the gospel with Ted Kennedy? Uh, I don't know that. It, uh, he could have. But I know he went to, to see the, the mother. He asked him to go see mm-hmm. his mother. Oh, that's wonderful. And so that, and they were friends from then on, you know, it's just, it was wonderful. Well, he did reach out uh, even to those who we might consider his enemies. Maisel Falwell, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really been delightful to talk to you about a great man and well, uh, someone who so had a great much. impact. I God bless you, Maisel. Thank you. Know, you. The Bible says that uh, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And to me, it's very interesting that uh, Jerry Falwell would reach out to someone, even his enemy, Larry Flint, 
uh, in love and friendship and to somebody who was politically his enemy, Senator Ted Kennedy. And I think uh, that's a great example for uh, the way we ought to treat people in this country. Well, next up, uh, we are going to talk about preaching, expository preaching. It's an important way of preaching. It's really basically going verse by verse and dissecting uh, what God says to us in the Bible. It's something that's taught here at the Criswell College, and we're going to talk about that. Andrew Abair did an interview. That's next on Jerry Johnson Live. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Well, my thoughts are that I think that people should be able to enter into legal agreements, and I think that that is something that we should encourage, particularly in the case of insurance and other areas, um, decisions that have to be made. Uh, I just believe in the unique status of marriage between man and woman, and I know that we have a respectful disagreement on that issue. Mm-hmm. That's presidential candidate John McCain. He's on uh, with Ellen DeGeneres. And, of course, Ellen DeGeneres, uh, because of the same-sex marriage ruling by the California Supreme Court, is now planning on marrying her same-sex partner. And uh, we'll have more on that later in the program. We want to talk a little bit more about this same-sex marriage decision, some of the ramifications of that, and we will do that a little bit later in the program. But first, uh, we are going to talk about something that's very important here at the Criswell College, and that's expository uh, preaching of the Bible. And uh, Dr. Jim Shaddix, uh, pastor of Riverside Church in Denver, Colorado, was here at the college And uh, he's also a former professor of preaching at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary and the author of The Passion Driven Sermon and co-author of Power in the Pulpit. He was here, though, speaking in our chapel at the Criswell College, and uh, Andrew Hebert had a chance to talk with him. Here's that interview. Dr. Shaddix, you're our chapel speaker, and uh, you are an expository preacher, and so I want to take just a few minutes to talk with you about preaching. And let me just start off by asking you, how important is preaching to the ministry of the church? I mean, is there a place for preaching, and uh, and what is it? Well, there's no doubt that preaching's been downplayed uh, in recent years. Uh, for some, just as one of many things that we do. For others, uh, not even an important thing that we do. I think when you look at the New Testament and even go back to uh, preaching's roots in Hebrew prophecy, uh, you, you see that the New Testament church was not only uh, was not only birthed through preaching, but it was sustained through preaching. Uh, the, the preaching and teaching of God's word was central to everything that they did. wasn't the only thing that they did, but it was uh, the first thing that they did. What's the point? I mean, what what does preaching accomplish that, uh, say, music ministry or hospitality or visitation doesn't? That's a great question. Um, you know, there are so many uh, subjective forms of communication and of media. Uh, I think one of the reasons that God didn't ordain music uh, as the primary means of the propagation of the gospel is because of its emotional nature. Does it make it bad or wrong? In fact, it's a very important part of our worship of the Lord. Uh, but but it has an emotional attachment uh, that uh, that connects with people that sometimes can skew a message. Uh, you know how people uh, they enjoy a certain style of music or kind of music, but it overrides the message sometimes. I think God ordained preaching and teaching in every generation. 
because uh, it is the least subjective of, uh, of the mediums of communication, just the oral communication event itself. But the most important thing is the content, you know, the subject matter, and that is uh, that it's, it's God's Word, you know, and that's what's so important about n- not just saying preaching uh, is central, but understanding that preaching is the means of communicating the Bible. Is that, would that be a definition of preaching, a means of communicating the Bible, or what would be a, a sort of paragraph definition of preaching? I'll ask you about methods in a moment, but what's your definition of preaching? Well, I'll tell you, I'll even make it shorter than a paragraph. I love V.L. Stanfield's uh, description and definition of preaching, and that is giving the Bible a voice. Uh, the Bible is God's Word to us. Uh, it, uh, it is His revelation for everything that is necessary for life and godliness. Preaching, then, is, is giving that a voice. Now, Dr. Shattuck, there are different types of preaching, different methods, and uh, so could you briefly outline just some methods of preaching, you know, maybe topical, textual, ex- expository, give a brief definition of each, and then tell us what method you use, um, what method you used to teach at New Orleans Seminary, and why. Well, I appreciate you asking that question, and I'm, I'm probably going to answer it from a little bit different standpoint because my conviction is that biblical exposition or expository preaching is not a method or approach to be put alongside other um, styles or approaches or methods of preaching, though that is a very traditional thing to do. Uh, You know, when most people talk about topical preaching, they're talking about taking a subject or a topic and then finding different places in Scripture that might relate to that and using those Scriptures. Textual preaching oftentimes is referred to as a a message that's based upon one verse of of, of the Bible or or maybe a, a couple of verses. And expository preaching traditionally uh, has been uh, defined with something to the effect of taking a pericope or a paragraph and um, walking through it verse by verse. Some have even tried to attach expository preaching to simply preaching through a book in the Bible. The problem with that goes back to the definition of preaching or what we're doing, and that is communicating God's voice, you know, giving the Bible a voice. If that's true, then the most important thing that a preacher can do is find out what that voice is, find out what that word is, and give that to the people. Well, what that requires is it requires some uncovering of layers that have been um, that have covered over God's revelation for centuries, like language and culture and background, uh, different context. And so any preacher's responsibility is first to peel back those layers. Well, that's where exposition comes from. You're exposing the voice of God. And so my conviction is that all preaching, to a certain degree, must be expository in its approach, in its nature, because... Our responsibility is to show people God's voice, to give them God's voice. In order to do that, we've got to find out what His Word is saying in any given text of Scripture. In order to do that, we have to peel back some of those layers in order to expose that to people. Some of our listeners may may be interested in finding out more about expository preaching. Um, I know you've written several books on preaching or co-written several books on preaching. Um, Just tell us about a a couple of your books, uh, maybe some of the resources that you would point our listeners if they're wanting more information. Well, you know, obviously, I guess anybody that's written a book uh, feels like he wrote it because he had something to say and he wants people to say it. So... 
I hope it doesn't seem arrogant, you know, to to recommend those. But I had the privilege of of co-authoring a book with Dr. Jerry Vines called Power in the Pulpit. And it really was based upon two books that Dr. Vines had written a number of years ago, one on sermon preparation and one on sermon delivery. Dr. Vines was gracious enough to let me take that, update it, uh, reorganize it, and add my stuff to it. And we think the product is a very good how-to book on expository preaching. If somebody wants to know how to go from A to Z in the preparation process in preaching expositorily, that certainly would be a you know a book. I, I would I would put right alongside that, maybe even ahead of it, just simply because of his wisdom. Is it would be Haddon Robinson's book, uh, Biblical Preaching. Um, I wrote a, another book uh, a few years later called The Passion Driven Sermon. Dr. John MacArthur was gracious enough to write the foreword to that book that basically really is a book that should have been written before Power in the Pulpit because it's kind of the foundation. It's the theology and philosophy that undergirds expository preaching. So this book is not just about preaching with passion, getting loud, banging the pulpit. Thank you for asking that uh, because that that title is a little bit misleading sometimes. No, it's it's, it's about preaching with a passion for a particular thing, and that particular thing is the glory of God. I believe that is what drove the Apostle Paul's preaching. This is a book that takes his his kind of his mantra on preaching and kind of fleshes it out a little bit. My guest has been Dr. Jim Shaddix. He's pastor of Riverside Baptist Church in Denver, Colorado. He did serve as professor of preaching at New Orleans Seminary. He's written books such as Power in the Pulpit and The Passion-Driven Sermon. Thank you so much, for Dr. Shaddix, for being on the program. Andrew, it's been a privilege. Thank you. And Andrew Bear, thank you so much for doing the interview with Dr. Shaddix. Uh, Andrew is our uh, producer here, one of the producers of Jerry Johnson Live, and uh, he is a student at the Criswell College, and he and many others that I know have just uh, talked about uh, what uh, how you can really learn preaching here at this college. And many good and great preachers have actually uh, been through the courses here at Criswell. Andrew's one of those, and uh, he will be going off. He's actually already started as uh, the pastor of Direct Baptist Church, which is out uh, 20 miles northwest of Paris, Texas, the northwesternmost town in Lamar County. Andrew will be leaving the job here as uh, our producer. He will still be a student at the college and going to full-time pastor this church. And I just am talking about this because uh, it's wonderful to see someone be launched out of the school uh, into that pastorate, and we're so grateful for that and also for the interview that uh, Andrew did uh, with Jim Shaddix. I want to mention a piece of news that's crossed the wires today, and that is that uh, Republican presidential candidate John McCain will be releasing 400 pages of his medical records, I believe, tomorrow. And this will be to a hand-picked group of reporters. They can't photocopy or keep any of it. Uh, and uh, it's because there's been some question. He had years ago some uh, surgery for melanoma, and you can see the scarring on his face. And so they want to get down to the bottom of that because apparently it was stage 2 uh, melanoma, and you've got to wait 10 years before you're declared totally free uh, from that. And so we will be hearing some news on that, uh, and that's an interesting development, I think, in the presidential campaign. But ladies and gentlemen, just back to what the Word of God says. And, you know, it's so wonderful, I think, when preachers are getting back to just preaching the Word of God, and sometimes it's just a blessing just to read the Word of God and see words like that uh, He predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. 
Uh, he all, we also, through him, have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sin. And uh, he made known to us the mystery of his will. And it's right here in the word of God. You can have a relationship with God and you can have eternal life by trusting Jesus Christ. Well, stay with us. We have one more segment of Jerry Johnson Live. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. David and David, the winner by 12 million votes of American Idol 2008 is... David Cook. Well, the teeny boppers didn't get their guy. Uh, I really thought uh, that the 17-year-old, just adorable young man with a beautiful voice would win American Idol, but he didn't. David Cook, the rocker, did, and uh, he's very talented. Uh, I do understand uh, something. You might pray for him uh, and his family. He's got one brother that's got cancer, and I know for a fact that there are Christians sharing the gospel uh, with that family. So uh, I think it's a matter for prayer as this young man goes out there and has a fabulous music career, probably. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, I also want to go and just uh, listen, uh, since President Bush is under fire for just about everything, I love listening to him when he speaks uh, to the troops. And uh, today he spoke at a division review ceremony for the 82nd Airborne Division at Fort Bragg, uh, North Carolina. He said the evidence is clear. His troop surge has worked. The progress is undeniable because of your bravery and your courage. The terrorists and extremists are on the run, and we are on our way to victory. And President Bush also saying that the 82nd Airborne, which led the surge, has done just what its commanders wanted. You've achieved difficult objectives in a new kind of war. You've performed with skill and valor. And on behalf of a grateful nation, welcome home. Well, uh, speaking of presidents, of course, there's a presidential race going on. Uh, We've got a nominee on the Republican side, and that's John McCain. And we've all been wondering 
uh, who he's going to pick for his VP slot. And we may know a little bit more coming up fairly soon. The news uh, reports are showing that over the Memorial Day weekend, he's got sort of a party happening at his ranch in Sedona, Arizona. And there are three very interesting invitees with their spouses. Florida, uh, Florida Governor Charlie Crist, Louisiana Governor Bobby Jindal, and also former uh, Massachusetts governor and presidential candidate Mitt Romney, all invited with their spouses. There are several other people. Joe Lieberman will be there. Lindsey Graham, who is a senator from South Carolina, a good friend of McCain's, uh, is also going to be there. But uh, these three uh, vice presidential possibilities... It's just got everybody kind of speculating and wondering if this is just a time for McCain to kind of get to know them and feel them out a little bit. I did see an interview with uh, Mitt Romney where he said he just really doesn't think he's going to be the vice presidential pick. Of course, he dropped out of the race. Pretty contentious between him and John McCain. Uh, But we'll see. Uh, Also, John McCain was on Ellen DeGeneres' program. And uh, here's what he said when they talked about gay marriage. Well, my thoughts are that I think that people should be able to enter into legal agreements and I think that that is something that we should encourage, particularly in the case of insurance and other areas, um, decisions that have to be made. Uh, I just believe in the unique status of marriage between man and woman, and I know that we have a respectful disagreement on that issue. Mm-hmm. He also answered her question whether uh, he would walk her down the aisle when she marries her same-sex partner, which she says she's going to do out there in California. Uh, he answered in the negative to that one, but it was, I guess, a, a laugh line. But uh, he's wrong in uh, saying that it's okay to have all these benefits of marriage and not the name marriage. I mean, I'm glad he wants to protect marriage as an institution. But as we discussed earlier this week, if you start giving domestic partnership benefits, you end up with rulings like uh, they did uh, hand down in California that affirms same-sex marriage. And, you know, this decision, it hasn't been talked about much in the media since it happened last week. There's just been very little discussion about it. And the candidates haven't weighed in much about it, although McCain did on DeGeneres' show. But this uh, this prompted the ACLU to send out an email blast that shows where they stand, if we didn't already know. It reads, we won the marriage case in California. This is big. This was a prize of inestimable value. So they're thrilled with this ruling uh, on same-sex marriage. This ruling is a greater threat to marriage than the one five years ago in Massachusetts because, unlike Massachusetts, California has no prohibition against marrying same-sex couples from other states where gay marriage is illegal. So it spreads same-sex marriage. Now, if this decision stands, couples will travel to California to marry. Then they'll return home to challenge the marriage laws in their own home states. And of course, this is going to unleash a lot of lawsuits, really legal havoc. And it will force gay marriage on states that have not amended their constitutions to prevent it. Uh, and since uh, San Francisco, this course has all started really with San Francisco Mayor Gavin Newsom when he began on Valentine's Day of 2004 to marry same-sex couples. And it's been uh, defeated. Gay marriage has really encountered a series of defeats in the California courts until that Supreme Court decision last week. It was a 4-3 to three ruling. It overturns, as we've discussed on this program, a 2000 referendum when, by 61% of the vote, Californians limited marriage 
to one man and one woman. But these justices on this court, the Supreme Court in California, may think that all they did was extend a right, a so-called right, that they thought was unfairly denied to gays. And this is sort of like what John McCain is saying. But they did much more than that, because in the decision, they referred to gay marriage as a natural right, uh, sort of like the Constitution refers to natural rights. And the narrow majority in that decision disregarded the sanctity of marriage, its benefit to society and children, and also its just historical staying power as an institution and its significance to every major religion. Now, a lot of Californians weren't surprised, and they have already been trying to put on the ballot uh, a marriage amendment to their California Constitution. That is really the only way to overturn this decision by the California Supreme Court. They have more than enough signatures now, and it looks like it will be placed on the ballot, and uh, hopefully a majority of voters in California will then enshrine in the state constitution the definition of marriage between one man and one woman. I, I do know that the Defense Fund is asking the court to stay its decision in November so that couples will not begin to marry and then they'll have to decide what to do with those marriages. Perhaps uh, Ellen DeGeneres will actually have to wait and uh, not get married in California if that stay request is granted. Californians are not only going to decide the future of marriage in their state with this referendum, they're also going to send a message uh, regarding whether they're willing to be ruled by judges who think it's their role to impose their will, because that's really what happened, uh, despite the clear wishes of the people on a matter. Now, if people don't live in California, uh, Chuck Colson says there's really a silver lining in this, because it provides impetus for a federal marriage amendment, something that had actually been shelved for a little while, and uh, actually John McCain had opposed. He needs to be questioned about that now, since California approved gay marriage. But Colson says that politicians can no longer hide behind the argument that we ought to leave this issue to the states. I think that this case in California could have a silver lining. It could make marriage a national election issue, and it will if uh, people will question the candidates about it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. Uh, tomorrow, uh, William Federer will join us, and he's going to talk with us about the tyranny of the atheist minority. We hope you'll join us then. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.